Mixed Media Movies. And welcome back to Mixed Media Live. Today we've got a huge topic that I'm just going to jump into. No intro. We're just going to go right into it. And it is the metaverse. So the first question, and I think this is always good to lay the groundwork with, is why are we talking about it? You know, like what is what is the reason why we should be talking about this? So uh, just for some background information, on October 28th, 2021, Facebook rebranded itself into Meta Platforms, which is actually its full name, not Meta. So it's doing business as Meta, random fact, um, and changed its logo to probably one of the ugliest rebranding <laughs> rebrandings I've ever seen. Um, if I were doing the branding for their company, that is not the logo I would have picked for them at all. In fact, their typeface is also ugly somehow. Um, in my humble opinion, at a logo, as I just did now to, to remember what it is, the images don't even give you the meta logo. Oh yeah. It's bizarre. Other logos that are meta, you know, called. Yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about that other logo in a moment. Uh, so that, (laughs) that, that, that's going to be an interesting uh, topic for discussion, but. Yeah, I mean, I think everything about their rebranding sucks. I think uh, Facebook doesn't really do good branding, period. I don't think, I don't know if they ever really did. Yeah, but that's a whole other discussion, not for now. (laughs) Um, But also to give you a background of what Facebook owns. So Facebook, aka Meta, I'm probably going to interchange them unintentionally here and there, owns a ton of brands. In fact, the only product that they actually developed is Facebook. Like the blue app is what they call it internally at at Facebook, the blue app. And I guess if you consider it a separate project product, they also own Messenger or developed developed Messenger. Pretty much everything else they bought, which is uh, what I'm about to list now. So, and this is a partial list. This is not a total list. So they own, of course, Facebook social media. They own Messenger, and then all the things they bought include Instagram, WhatsApp, Oculus, the VR headset company. Jiffy, if you know what Jiffy is, the uh, you know the app where you that's wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the app where you can like put like pull up a GIF by searching and put it in the chat of something or another. They own uh, Beat Games. Do you know what Beat Games owns, Nathan? Never heard of that in my life. Can you take a guess? That? Beat Games. Oh, it's do a... they own uh, Beat Saber? Yeah, they own Beat Saber. So wait, when did they acquired it? Is it Wait, when did that happen? <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> but uh, there you go. Now you know. Uh, and they, they own a company called Customer with a K, uh, which basically does like, um, I guess, customer support chats for small businesses and a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm not going to name. But those, I think, are the most notable and shows you a whole breadth of spaces, right? You've got everything from social media to hardware to gaming to chat, a whole bunch of different uh, spaces. And each one of those things has pretty much become a behemoth in itself in in terms of what types of services they provide. You know, Instagram used to be a, um, simplistic's not the word, minimalist, there you go, a minimalist uh, uh, photo sharing platform um, for amateur photo photography. And then it became basically Facebook app part two. Um, and, uh, you know, that that's pretty much their development path. And I'm talking about Facebook entirely right now for a reason, but we'll get to it. So that meta logo that you, you're seeing when you search meta that doesn't match the Facebook meta logo, that meta logo is actually the original company called meta. And this is something people don't know. 
So uh, I don't, I didn't write down the year, but I think it was 2015 or 2018. I can't remember. Facebook's nonprofit arm, um, which is called the Zuckerberg and his wife's last name uh, Foundation, which un- unlike the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is uh, so Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is owned by Bill and Melinda Gates, obviously, but they they do stuff outside of Microsoft. So Microsoft does not own Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, whereas in Facebook's case, Facebook actually owns its nonprofit arm, which is called the Zuckerberg whatever. Uh, I can't, I can't remember her last name for the life of me. Sorry. Um, uh, nonprofit. So it's actually owned by Facebook. And this nonprofit bought a company in either 2015 or 2018 called Meta. And this company was doing, I think, nonprofit uh, research into big data for uh, scientific literature. So I guess they're trying to aggregate scientific literature and then pull out you know, information using big data tools. So the funny thing is, uh, in 2019, they transfer the rights of the name Meta to Facebook. So since Facebook owns this nonprofit, they can they can do that, right? They own the IP associated with Meta, including its name. They take the IP Meta and transfer it to itself, and then announce that it's going to dissolve it by 2022. The company Meta, the original company Meta. So just think about that for a moment. <laughs> they bought a company under their nonprofit arm. Pretty much just for their name. I mean, I can think I can make that conjecture. <laughs> uh, maybe they got a few tools out of it as well, so it was kind of like a, a, a you know a happy coincidence. Um, but they took their ripped their name and then just dis- destroyed the nonprofit in the process. Yeah, like like meta analysis exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, as soon as they took their name, as soon as they were ready for rebranding, they just destroyed the company, which makes no sense from a nonprofit perspective because you would think you would think that. You know, if you bought the company, you just believe in the the objectives of this this entity, and uh, even if you remove the name, you would just rename it to something else, like uh, I don't know, meta analysis or something like that. <laughs> you know, uh, but instead they decided to just destroy it, which kind of makes me feel like they just bought this nonprofit, put in a nonprofit arm because it looked good in the portfolio, and then destroyed it for its name, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, that's that's the type of wealth that Facebook has, and also questionable ethics <laughs> especially because is that a for profit use i don't know i don't know if it is or not considering they rebranded their entire multi-billion dollar company to the name that they got from their nonprofit arm it's kind of strange in any case that's the logo that you see though when you search meta that is the logo the old logo of the old company is what usually comes up and then of course they named their company meta after this term that you've been hearing a lot more lately which is called metaverse which I'll be explaining right now. So that's the why we're talking about this, is that Facebook has kind of come on and blasted. I mean, Facebook's a huge brand. For them to rebrand around one singular concept is a big deal. You know, one of the biggest companies in the world, right? And so let's first understand what a metaverse is. So using Wikipedia's definition, and, you know, you can quibble with it, whatever, but you know, I think it generally encompasses the idea, as many people would, would say it. A metaverse is, quote, a network of 3D virtual worlds focused on a social connection. So that's pretty broad. In fact, you could say, huh, there's nothing about that that necessitates VR or any sort of like uh, physical interaction or something that's perceived as physical. 
that sounds like it could be something like an MMO, right? Or like, uh, or like Minecraft or something like that could fit under the definition of metaverse. If Minecraft communicates with some other entity, right? If you made a mod that like, I don't know, data from some entity enters Minecraft and then there's some interaction happening or cross chat. I don't know. You could call that a sort of metaverse. And in fact, the, uh, term is very old. It's from 1992, and uh, it's from a sci-fi novel called Snow Crash that I know nothing about. <laughs> um, but it became popular by the time the book, the book, Ready Player One, was uh, was uh, written. I think in the 80s, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, either the 80s or the 70s. I can't fully remember. Just saying that there are so many like technological terms that were like came to be in the late 1900s and I just appear like, you know, like in full force, like around, you know, in the past decade this is very, it's pretty common. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then of course, ready player one would become a Spielberg movie coming out of, you know, not too long ago in the grand scheme of things. And then there's the proto metaverse uh, or metaverse is, and these are claiming to be, metaverses or you know people in these industries claim that they've already created metaverses which like i said is mmos minecraft and roblox roblox does that make sense uh just think about how roblox works you know you keep the sentence sorry <laughs> what, was the, what was the thing you said well i said uh, a list of proto metaverses at least what these people you know claim to be these people these people have claimed to be already metaverses which one of them includes roblox and that makes sense because it's one sort of platform where you can hop from game to game to game. Uh, and these games are sort of like self-contained in of themselves, but your character persists and your, your, I guess, relationships, your friends, your online friends persist throughout the platform. So it is sort of like a, uh, a you know, simpler type of metaverse. But Roblox will be coming back and uh, <laughs> we'll be talking about that later. So Meta or Facebook. Uh, made a huge mad dash for this word, this pre-existing word that had a community already existing. In fact, there was a whole decentralized uh, platform community. When I say that, I mean a whole bunch of people who were interested in decentralizing different uh, types of games, different sorts of chats, a lot of VR-related stuff that were creating these sort of decentralized platforms that could sort of self-run, self-govern, or govern in some unique ways that didn't require like a central you know, uh, company or anything like that, uh, that were coming around. Uh, so people have been using this term, but just not in the mainstream. And then Facebook comes around, renames itself meta, and then sort of takes over the world word metaverse as if it's this, this, uh, they didn't, you know, I don't think they ever portrayed it as a new concept per se, but as if they're taking the concept and, and now it's their concept. Um, so that's where we are now with, uh, metaverse. So, Yes, they're the ones to centralize the entire process. If you watch the really cringe Metaverse ad, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I, I wish I had it on, on, on tap so I could just put it up right now, but it is extremely cringe. It is very corny. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg should never be in any promo material. <laughs> He's not a very personable person. And I, yeah, it, it, it's very bad. <laughs> it's funny. I had a um, one of my professors at, um, in... in as an undergrad, she was Mark Zuckerberg's RA when he first came out with Facebook. She was one of the first 10 people to actually have a Facebook account. She 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 would sometimes, you know, talk about him, but very 
very briefly, um, she 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 would always trust that she was one of the first ten people to have a Facebook account, and that she no longer has one. <laughs> Does that mean she, she um, didn't like him? Is that? <laughs> Uh, well, at least at least she no longer saw utility in um, in in having an account, I guess. But it okay. was always funny. She'd always, she'd always mention that she was Mark Zuckerberg's RA at Harvard when he first came out, you know, first released like the beta version of Facebook. Yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> so yeah, so basically they've come come on the block said. We are the ones who are going to take this centralized or we're going to make this idea centralized. If you watch the ad, they basically say that what they're going to do is be the platform for everyone else to plug into. So they're not saying we're going to create all of the metaverse components, right? We're not going to create the individual 3D experiences, although I'm sure they're going to create some of them. Um, Instead, we're going to be the common link that brings together all platforms into one umbrella centralized, you know, existence, which is very antithetical to the culture that already existed around the metaverse, which is extremely DeFi, uh, you know, sort of decentralized everything, right? From finance to, to, you know, uh, VR worlds to everything uh, decentralized. But they just came and did that. Now, they got sued a few times by different entities that claimed to have rights over the word metaverse because people were so mad and demanded that these entities sue them. They're not going to win any of those suits. None of those those entities properly trademarked or did anything you know, to safeguard the term. So these are all suits that are probably not going to work out, my limited knowledge. The last thing about the sort of general background is that they want it to be blockchain backed. Now, this is the part that has been the thorn in their side. Uh, this entire time. Facebook has been trying to create its own cryptocurrency for the past five years, basically. And it constantly gets rejected by either the EU courts or the US courts, because apparently that's the thing that makes them a monopoly, finally, um, (laughs) is creating a cryptocurrency. Um, Although I think they're already there, but that's a whole other thing. So they haven't been able to fully spool that idea, but they want this thing to be blockchain backed crypto backed with a crypto a facebook specific cryptocurrency they don't want to use ethereum or or uh bitcoin i hope i don't get uh ruined on facebook for mentioning those terms not facebook um on uh youtube i think youtube's very sensitive to those terms you know what i'm talking about <laughs> the coins out there uh that you can purchase that are somewhat decentralized on you know whether it's a decentralized platform or a centralized platform like Coinbase or something like that. I probably shouldn't have said that word either. Whoops. Um, (laughs) That's their vision. That's what a metaverse is. In terms of imagining the sort of things that they want you to be doing on their platform, you can imagine playing games, you know, playing super hot. If you heard heard of that VR game, it's like the quintessential VR game. Uh, And while you're playing super hot, you can uh, chat with your friends, like as they spectate physically in super hot or something like that. And that sort of integration is facilitated by Facebook that you can sort of cross between platforms. Oh, my friend's at the museum. Let me just jump from my super hot game while I have my Oculus headset on and uh, jump into the museum, a virtual version of the museum that they're, (laughs) that they, (laughs) Ben's shaking his head. It gets a lot worse, Ben. Um, a virtual museum uh, and I can look along with the paintings as long as I pay in, in, in some Facebook cryptocurrency uh, you know to get gain entrance to that museum 
So <laughs> that's the sort of uh, idea that we have here in terms of what they're imagining. Naturally, there are a lot of red flags that come up. Now, I have to warn you. When I was doing research for this episode, I was not expecting to find what I what I, the original red flags that I had written down were not the same as like I just wanted a few citations for a few things I was going to say, and then I ended up just mostly down a Wikipedia rab- rabbit hole that led to some depths that uh, that you will be seeing. Um, I'm actually going to post uh, I'll post it while I'm speaking a link to all of the uh, the wiki pages and Forbes articles and all all the things that I ended up finding by accident, pretty much (laughs) about the red flags I'm going to be talking about here. I think the first thing before we go into those red flags is to understand how Facebook or Meta makes money. So what is their business model? So we talked about business models in my last segment uh, three weeks ago when I was talking about freeware. And so I'm actually going to be doing a lot of this. I'm going to be weaving a lot of these topics together to create sort of a tapestry so I, th- I think it would be helpful for people to understand the current landscape of mostly, you know, I'm coming at this from a perspective of art, but I think it's a helpful thing in general to understand sort of the economics and uh, social sort of things happening, you know, to understand sort of what's going on on the grand sort of macro scale of everything. You know, Google is basically a direct competitor to Facebook, supposedly, at least, you know, so Google you know, Google's model is very similar to Facebook's model where they both depend on ads, right, to make most of their money. In fact, Facebook way more so. So Facebook makes a lot more percent of total pie off of ads than Google does. And they go by this optimization strategy, as we talked about in the last episode, which is basically grabbing data, grabbing platforms where you can get more data, providing free services where you can gather more data, in order to optimize your uh, experiences on their platform so that hopefully you click more on the ads and click on more on the ads, you know, they can charge the business for that click. So that's basically the stated business model. So that's one way they make money is from ad optimization. The second way they make money is through government contracts. So much like Google, they have government contracts. We talked about this with the Google sort of situation where it's like their government contracts, what do they do? So they currently have a, uh, their most current uh, contract is with the State Department. That's a whole rabbit hole I'm not going to get into. But yes, there's a, there's a, they have government contracts. And like we all know, government contracts are sort of a bottomless wallet that you can always suck from, basically. Um, I used to work at a, uh, at a um, defense uh, contractor uh, called SciTech. Great company doing absolutely essential work. I was very lucky because I would not be doing defense work unless I... I thought it was uh, essential, um, <laughs> pretty much. Um, and I was happy, to, I was pleased to see that it actually was pretty great work uh, happening at that defense company. But what I do know from my experience there, uh, and no slander, is that the government's wallet is bottomless. <laughs> Even for a smaller company like SciTech, it is very easy for the company to siphon, absolutely siphon money from the gov- government uh, for kind of uh, interesting, uh, interesting contract structures. But that's a whole other topic. The third way they make money is through partnerships with traditional media. And so this is the same as Google does, as uh, a lot of these companies, social media companies they do, is they give traditional media. So traditional media means like, you know, your cable news, your uh, print news, like those sorts of things, uh, your late night talk shows, those sorts of uh, traditional media. They give them prime placement. 
So they've individually negotiated with uh, CNN, with, um, you know, whatever, name your name, your traditional media. They've individually negotiated with those contracts to give them prime placement on the top of searches, on the top of uh, topics, you know, or hashtag, whatever you whatever you want. You know, these sorts of things They give them prime placement by contract. The fourth way is uh, they sell devices, which is a relatively mon- minor way. In fact, they lose money overall on the on the device sort of uh, angle, which is like Oculus. They also uh, sell smart devices like there's a Facebook watch and they're coming out with a whole line of smart and home devices. And guess how much do you want to guess how much actually I'll have you guys guess how much does Facebook make per user? Do you think per year? I'm trying to think if it's an absurdly large amount or absurdly low amount, right? Like, like what kind of range are we talking here? I mean, so per just user of any other services, pretty much, you just average them all. I'm going to say it's considerably high. I, I don't think I can put a number to it. Ben, you have a guess? Uh, I don't know. We'll, let's go with a nice neutral $100. Okay, so it's actually uh, much lower than $100. It's actually 20, oh, 5K? No, not 5K. It's $20 a person. $20 a person. Now, I'm just going to let this sit for a moment. Can anyone think of what's wrong with that in terms of uh, what's your immediately, okay, think like an investor. Think like you're, you're, you're buying stocks in Facebook. And they make $20 per user. There's one question, me, I invest. So there's an immediate question that came into my mind when I found this number online. What's wrong with is this? That, is that money per user of Facebook or a user of any and all of their Any and their all of their app? services. Okay. That is the most it's active like, users, I believe. What? So... I guess I have two thoughts. One is like, okay, how much do they spend on the... Is this profit or revenue? This is a uh, profit. So this is after oh, okay. expenses. Okay. That is including... Okay, 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 cool. So anyway, my, so my question is like, I don't know, I find it pretty low because uh, I think about any, any, any company that sells a $20 product, right? They've already beat you out in terms of, in terms of their... Actually, uh, you've oh, got it right there. You've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Some other company could sell something for $20 easily, you would think, which wraps back. And I I guarantee you, people at Facebook have had this conversation. I guarantee you, Wall Street investors know this conversation, too, because if I immediately thought of it, they all thought of it for sure. (laughs) $20 is not a lot for you to pay out of pocket for the services per year. So take take. Facebook's model, which is ad so, optimization mostly. Go ahead. I mean, what if they just took their services or moved all the ads and said you pay twenty dollars? That's just a simpler way. Of, like you, because the expenses are now cut. The expenses are like zero, right? Because no longer have to pay money, you know, to do all their ad research and stuff like that, which is you know their prize position. Absolutely. Right? So they just said you pay, you know, either either you can maybe have the ad option still there, although as somewhat inefficient in terms of cost because now you still have to pay for like ad R&D and stuff like that. Although less because you're not relying on that all too much. But you can be like, yo, you know, pay $20, here's your ad-free version. <laughs> there you go. And you're done. And the thing is, it's a recurring payment, right? So that's one year, right? I mean, you could if you wanted to also just change the price to like say $25 and wow, I mean, a $5 increase per person using a Facebook product is actually insane at that point, at that scale, right? 
So I can increase by $1, whatever, you know. That's exactly my question as an investor. So my immediate question is, Facebook, why don't you have a $30 a year plan? Or actually, you know, you could probably do a $35. I mean, how high, how much would people pay? And this is a genuine concern many, many users have, which is that Facebook is constantly looking for ways to track because they're on this ad optimization sort of regime, right? It's something that people complain about with Google too. So despite what you think about whether that's a legitimate concern or not, why not offer the choice and make more margin off of of offering the choice? So think about the difference between $20 and $30. That's a 50% increase in profits on the individual user. So even if only a third of your users take that option, or, or maybe that's too big. I mean, I actually think a third of their users probably would take that option. Um, but you know, let's let's say only ten percent of the users take that option. That's a free fifty percent extra that you're making off of those ten percent of your users for literally zero cost. All you're doing is providing the option to opt out of Facebook tracking services, all that adver- uh, customized ads you get clean feeds that are not full of ads, right? Like we all hate scrolling through the platforms. Question is like, why is it like this? <laughs> oh yes, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Uh, so Sockflip says, uh, but profits need to be exponential. If everyone migrates to a fixed subscription a year, how do you squeeze out more money in the future? Well, this is the, uh, this is the Netflix problem, right? So uh, you have a point, right? So with Netflix, they only have a subscription model meaning the only way they can make money is off of people adding more subscriptions to to their total portfolio. And there are literally a limited number of people in the world who can afford their services. So at a certain point, they start to plateau, which is why Netflix has been doing very poorly uh, stock performance-wise, is because they're sort of hitting a plateau. In fact, they peaked to their maximum pretty much during the pandemic. And then uh, as things started opening up, they dropped back to their previous levels and so it sort of demonstrated a sort of limited uh, profit reach that you could possibly get without innovating your product more, right? Or charging more for your services. So you have a point there. But the problem, the, the difference though with Facebook is that Facebook has two modes of profit, one of which is the ads and one of which is the, is the, the you know, the subscription or potentially two modes. And so you can, that adds actually a lot more flexibility than you think. So now you can add another tier maybe that does something else, or maybe you could increase your prices, like which is traditional, and you could definitely increase it at the rate of inflation easily. At the same time, you can sort of beef up your ad optimization while you're focusing on subscriptions. And then if the subscription game is not working out well, then you can focus back on, you know, you can sort of mix and match sort of how things are going. And you should probably still see that exponential increase. Why I mentioned that whole economics thing is a particular reason is because take all of those ways they make money and apply it to their rebrand to the metaverse. And that will inform how we're going to imagine what this metaverse is going to look like, how they make money and how that will combine itself with their vision of the metaverse. The next red flag is that there's no competitive resistance. Just think about that real quick. There's basically no competitive resistance. So let, let's all get in the shoes of Microsoft real quick. This is, this is baffling to me. Microsoft owns Xbox. They just bought a ton of game studios. They own uh, social media platforms. <laughs> Who makes media be available in the metaverse? <laughs> 
to be seen. Uh, it depends on which metaverse, I guess. <laughs> um, you own some VR stuff. You know, you own uh, Windows. You know, base, which means you basically own like the the window into uh, uh, PC gaming. Um, you own a bunch of game studios, and you own a social media platform called LinkedIn that you already know how to uh, manage, right? So you've already figured out that game. So you've got the social component because LinkedIn is actually a wildly popular platform and it's growing exponentially. So we've got, they've, they figured out the social with LinkedIn. They figured out the gaming with all their games. They figured out the hardware. They are, they have a VR hardware as well. Why is it Microsoft saying, Hmm, you, sir, it's not your metaverse. It's my metaverse. Why aren't they saying that? Like, why, why isn't that the natural, uh, why isn't that the natural reaction? Let's go to Google. Google has uh, Stadia, which I know they're phasing out, but that demonstrates cloud computing, which Microsoft also has, has which is very useful for a metaverse. Google has, uh, you know, in, into the gaming world uh, through Stadia with all the relationships they made. Does Google own uh, uh, any game studios, Nathan? I want to say no, but it's like a decent chance of missing something. I can't think of any Google game. I'll look it up while you continue, but I don't think. Okay. Well, so they demonstrated all of that. They have VR hardware. They've got it into your phone through Samsung, through, uh, well, Samsung and, and others through Android. They've got it into your phone, so they, that's got mobility, which is very useful for the metaverse. They've got all of that. Uh, it says no Google got rid of all their studios. Okay, thank you for that. They've got all of that in to the metaverse technology space, but they're not saying, no, Facebook, you're not making the metaverse. We're making the metaverse. Amazon has AWS. It has, which is cloud computing. It's got, and AWS is the number one performer in cloud computing by far, and they're making tons of money off of AWS. So success, successful project. They've got Twitch, which is a gaming, uh, gaming streaming platform, pretty much. Uh, they've got content right on their platform, you know, and they've got goods that they can sell you through ads on their platform, all that. They've got an ad service. Google has an ad service. Microsoft has an ad service. All these people are absolutely not just silent. Many of them are on board, meaning, yes, Mr. Zuckerberg, we'll plug in to your metaverse. Just think about that for a moment, <laughs> how bizarre that is. That is extremely bizarre, and it will get more bizarre, uh, but th that is a red flag to me. As an investor of those other companies, I'd be like, hmm, is it actually more efficient for you to go this route or, or what? What are we doing here? Oh, actually, sorry. I want to mention one example. I said I would come back to it. Roblox uh, <laughs> has been extremely gung-ho about Facebook, uh, Facebook and the metaverse. So they've, they've been totally you know, trumpeting it, probably the largest smaller entity that is sort of saying metaverse is here. It's arrived. Sure. It's fa Facebook. Go ahead. Dollar is bigger than Nintendo at this point, right? In terms of value. Mm -hmm. But I mean, compared to the massive giants we're talking about, like Google, Microsoft, Facebook, they're they're small potatoes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Nathan, you remember that quote? Was it you that came up with the uh, news article with uh, Roblox that was uh, interesting? Where Roblox uh, CEO, I believe, made it, or someone in the Roblox executive board made a statement about what their vision for Roblox was? I, if I did, I don't recall that, but... It was the, <laughs> the I, I, I remember this, although I don't remember what the actual like announcement was. was. 
Was this like recently or like uh, no months ago? Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> but basically, he said something about three-year-olds playing with adults and it being a symbiotic fun atmosphere. I don't know. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Which I thought was the most bizarre thing for it to come out of a human's mouth. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Another red flag is that Meta has been trying to create its own, like we mentioned, blockchain and not using an established blockchain like Ethereum. But anyway, so the the e-cryptocurrency um, would be a natural fit because it's the most established functional blockchain there is out there. You know, you could argue that there are better ones in the making, like, uh, you know, things I can't name. <laughs> but, you know, Ethereum has been established basically as the current dominant blockchain for functional use. So, which is weird because if you're truly, you know, as benevolent as you say you are as Facebook, you want to create the, the future world where no one's discriminated because everyone wears avatars and uh, everything is is a beautiful place. <laughs> um, <laughs> and everything is perfect. Why wouldn't you use an, an, an open a more open platform like Ethereum that divests control away from you and towards the public? Well, maybe it's because you don't want to divest control away from you and towards the public. And then this part was strange to me. Right after the announcement, or not right after the announcement, I should say, a few weeks after the announcement, there was a crop of media articles that absolutely started pushing the meta metaverse like crazy, like unasked for, uns unsolicited, just like, here's how your workplace will be in the metaverse. Here's how, like, those kinds of articles, I'm, I'm sure you've seen them when you've scrolled through, you know, ads or whatever, uh, or in the trending or whatever, wherever you find them. These things were trending <laughs> on the platforms that they are supporting, which is, uh, which is interesting. Um, <laughs> but these articles about the metaverse just came quick, fast, and plentiful, as if everyone in the mainstream news it knew exactly what a meta metaverse was. The moment that the announcement was made and knew all the clickbait articles to make to get everyone hyped and excited about the metaverse, it didn't seem so organic as if it came from the people, right? Like it wasn't that the people started learning about uh, the metaverse and then articles came after. It was like the metaverse appeared and then informed the people. So it went the other way around. It wasn't responding to a trend. It, it made the trend, if you get what I'm saying. And then there is, I'm getting deeper and deeper into this, so, so, so hold on tight. <laughs> uh, there was mounting government, government pressure for censorship on Facebook, right? So, I mean, there's all, all, a whole bunch of stuff. I'm not going to talk about specific issues, you know, I'm not going to get into that. But we've got sort of the executive branch as a whole sort of bearing down on Facebook, saying that it's got to control discussions happening on the platform. And the second thing is we had that recent Facebook whistleblower. Do you remember who that was? Do you remember who the, the, what the conclusion of that whistleblower blowing a sort of a news outbreak was? It was what? That, uh, we need more censorship, essentially. Or something right, like exactly. So basically, Facebook needs to control itself more, and it needs to happen from some sort of policy change. And Zuckerberg, for the past five to ten years has been asking for the government to make new rules for a new internet. I mean, I mean, I remember seeing headlines about this when I was in, in college at, at least, you know, about Zuckerberg saying, you know, and of course I thought nothing of it, but um, you know, he was saying, well, the internet's a new place and it needs new rules. And we would like to be at the table of the discussion of that and those new rules 
so that we can be regulated as a platform correctly. The other thing, again, on this censorship theme, decentralized platforms are under fire for being unregulated. So crypto as a whole is sort of being, you know, criticized for being an unregulated uh, space where, you know, people can't, uh, you know, sort of do monetary policy, uh, you know, on the sort of least concern and the criminal activities happening on the blockchain on the sort of the most concern. And so the government needs to sort of come in and hamper down the blockchain and decentralized platforms because inherently by them being decentralized, right, they can't, you know, uh, effectively fight crime or whatever and all that kind of stuff. The FBI has made it a, made it a priority um, in terms of sort of monitoring the blockchain. They've come out with some crazy technologies in order to be able to trace Bitcoin flows through the blockchain. Maybe they'll find a total solution eventually, but they're trying to sort of hamper down on the Bitcoin. If you remember with uh, GameStop, everyone remember the whole GameStop uh, uh, controversy? Ape strong. <laughs> um you know, I, I joined in on that uh, for fun. It was one of some of the most fun I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, just stupidity on Reddit. Uh, and <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of people took it too seriously and uh, did not understand the consequences of what the heck they were doing, you know, and lost a lot of money, which mm. so what happens when you listen to uh, <laughs> a crowd on the Internet. It's also what happens, though, when things go epically wrong on the exchange side. But that that's a whole other uh other discussion but basically what gme was or what gamestop was that gamestop crisis was something that was marching into a market black hole so i actually was part of a group of people who was just buying a stock which was going to sort of create a black hole of the stock market and suck in uh i'm not gonna explain the mechanics of it all the corporate money into the one uh, black hole. Oh, Nathan says he accidentally turned off his computer. I'm sure he's, he'll be back. But what happened oddly with GameStop was some censorship happened because of GameStop, because it was dangerous for the people who are investing. Although investing is generally an open enterprise, right? I can just download Robinhood and just go ahead and swipe up on GameStop. But there's hampered discussion and you had sort of politicians saying, well, this is too dangerous to have on platforms like Facebook, right? Then we have all of the sort of politics related hampering that was happening on Facebook circa elections and all that kind of stuff. Now, this is interesting because I think this is something that people don't understand about biz about large businesses. Large businesses want to be regulated. This sounds very strange, but they want to be regulated. Regulation is good for big business. Regulation is amazing for big business. What regulation does is it makes a market maker out of the government. So this is this is common knowledge if you're an investor, right? A lot of stocks go up and down based off of a government pronouncement basically. So if uh let's let's take the easy example of biotech, right? So if a company has a product that, you know, gets approved by the FDA, stock shoots up, but of course the FDA is an extreme example because we say okay, we need an FDA, all that kind of stuff. Whole, whole discussion, but it actually happens on pretty much on all levels with gigantic companies. So with a large company, let's say like, uh, let's take it a random oil company, let's say like Exxon or something like that. Exxon wants to be regulated because the more regulation there is, the harder it is for a competitor to enter the space because it's so expensive. So, and that's true. So like you have an oil company startup, 
wants to start up in the middle, you know, maybe there's a lot of oil in, uh, I don't know, Washington state or something like that. The regulation is going to be so difficult for that new company to try to drill oil uh, over there that Exxon has an automatic advantage because one, they're already in the space and they have enough, already have enough money to combat the, uh, the uh, regulatory pressures downward on creating a new company. So Facebook is trying, trying to, Facebook regulating itself is actually not odd in of itself. It's the type of regulation, well, it's odd, and it's odd to people because people are not familiar with that kind of, you know, sort of business language. To me, I think that's broken, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, but the weird part is that they're asking for a specific thing, which is censorship, which pretty much all their large competitors gain equally from, you know, and pretty much it gives them a reason to say, we're going to clamp down on behavior in any which way we want, which is kind of a dubious thing they can, they can do right now. There's a whole legal jargon I'm not going to get into, but it gives them the permission to clamp down in whatever ways they want, so long as they have that symbiotic understanding with the regulatory bodies. If that horrifies you, that's that's like literally how all you know uh, market making sort of government uh, approval things work. That's how they function. Okay, and here's the last one, and here's the craziest one. So again, I'm happy that you stuck stuck, stuck along this this uh, this far with it. But this one uh, is the doozy. <laughs> so uh, Facebook has a ton, ton of connections, not just with any government body, but with the intelligence community. Now, this is obvious, actually. This, this, is, what I, this is the rabbit hole I fell into by accident. Like, I actually was not looking for this. The only thing I was interested in, I was like, hmm, most of these large companies, especially big tech companies, have some sort of founding relationship with particularly the CIA. And I actually did not know that for Facebook, and I just searched Facebook CIA just, just to verify that this was not a red flag or was a red flag or whatever. And then I fell through a whole rabbit hole on Wikipedia that you can fall into the same rabbit hole if you want, which is every founding board member of Facebook, minus Mark Zuckerberg, is, has a connection directly to the CIA, and it's all of their Wikipedia pages, and it's fascinating. The sort of CIA-associated people are Jim Breyer, Peter Thiel, Gilman Louie, and Sean Parker. A lot of these names you probably, probably sound very familiar to you because they're very active people. So there's this company, and you can, again, look it up on, uh, on Wikipedia. It's right in the description on their Wikipedia. There's this company called InQtel, in-Q-Tel. Just go on their Wikipedia, and in their, in their description, it just says uh, venture capitalist arm of the CIA, basically. Um, <laughs> and there's this company called InQtel, which is famous for getting companies off the ground and immediately blasted in the, in the public market. In fact, there's, on the Wikipedia, it says that for every dollar that uh, InQtel invests in a company, they attract 15 more dollars of investment. And you ask yourself, why does that happen? That happens because every other investor knows that those companies are going to do well because InQtel invests in them. So, you know, they follow the money into, into, the, into the winning company, basically. And basically, their goal is to... Uh, raise capital for companies that can help the CIA in terms of intelligence gathering technologies. They invest in everything from uh, from surveillance technology like Palantir. Uh, who owns Palantir? Peter Thiel owns Palantir. 
but that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Again, I fell into a thing that I was not expecting to fall into. <laughs> Gilman Louie and uh, was the CEO at one point of InQtel, and he was one of the first. I think he was the second uh, backer of Facebook back when Facebook was uh, founded in a college dorm, um, which is interesting. Jim Breyer brought Gilman Louie in, so Jim Breyer is a colleague of uh, Gilman Louie at a different company called uh, Ven. Can't remember the name of the company. I'm going to botch it. But basically, they're colleagues. They're both board members at a third company. And and uh, Jim Breyer told uh, Gilman Louie, hey, this is a, a project that we should fund. And uh, he brought him in. Sean Parker was recruited to the CIA, CIA at the age of 16. Which is, uh, which is, I'm sure, a fascinating story. After, and this was after the FBI found out, found out about his hacking of colleges and companies. So he was a hacker, and the FBI uh, actually forced him to do community service. Um, he was a minor, so he didn't go to jail. But after he did his community service, CIA comes over and says, hey, you're a pretty good hacker. You know, would you like to, 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 to join the CIA? And he said yes. So he started at the age of 16. And... The feature founder of Palantir, like I was saying, uh, and Palantir, if you didn't know, does uh, police predictions. So like, they, they look at a whole plethora of data and try to predict crime. Uh, it's uh, like, what's the movie? Uh, Minority Report. Like, you know, minus like sort of the Oracle stuff. But yeah, like kind of kind of like a Minority Report where you're taking in tons of data and then you can sort of do crime prediction. And they have tons of contracts already with uh, police departments. I'm sure NYPD has a contract with them. And they also have contracts with the FBI and intelligence agencies as to why, you know, uh, Intel, uh, in would even uh, invest in them to begin with because Palantir is invested by, in by InQtel. So I didn't, I didn't look for this <laughs> at all. I just kind of fell into it on the Wikipedia pages. I encourage you to look into it on your own. But that's an interesting red flag because... I guess a lot of people don't understand the internet was a military project. It was, it was a DARPA project. Um, the, I mean, this, this is common knowledge. So I guess it's not so shocking to most people, but the, you know, the internet as a whole was a protocol that was originally designed. At least that's what it was presented as for transferring data between peoples. So like mostly scientists at different universities, at different government bases, all that kind of stuff, or at least that was the proposition. What you probably don't know is that the internet was also simultaneously a planned use for data gathering by the intelligence agencies for all those people who use the internet. Now that whole experiment pretty much failed and the internet became sort of a decentralizing force. So that's a whole other topic for another day. But what is Facebook at its core and at its business model? What does it do as its core business model? It gathers data, right? <laughs> like that's its literal core business model. And what does it refuse to do? It, refused to, it refuses to allow the option for you to, what? Buy your way out of the process, <laughs> you know, in an obvious uh, prof profit-making way, right? So Facebook is essentially a gigantic dream for the intelligence agencies. And if you don't, I know a lot of people get weird about this stuff. So I'm just going to name a few things that are known, like known things that the intelligence community has done domestically, because a lot of people, they'll just say the CIA is for foreign, uh, foreign, you know, actually Ben's, uh, did a segment where he was talking about something that sort of bled in domestically, uh, about, uh, 
the CIA. What was it again, Ben? It was uh Yeah, so they um well there's actually not so much domestic they're involved with um you know artistic propaganda in a sense, you know, anti-Soviet stuff. So they would send in, you know, copies of literature and things like that. Um, and also, you know, some involvement in like, you know, in how um, music, like Russian music was being talked about and Russian arts in general were being talked about, um, including, I think we, I talked about how, you know, the um, president's personal advisor on music, you know, and his like views on Shostakovich and that kind of stuff, um, shaping like national discourse actually on on art. Yeah. Um, and definitely a shout out to a future episode I'm going to be doing on the CIA and Hollywood. That's going to tie into all this stuff pretty beautifully. And that's going to be more of a historical look than uh, right. Well, actually probably look at stuff right now, but the interesting thing is that, you know, we say this, we say we, we pay the lip service to it, but we've got, I, I created a short list just off the top of my mind of things that we learned about in school that the CIA and other intelligence agencies did. So there's MK ultra, which we all know what that is, testing de- drugs on domestic, uh, uh, you know, people, you know, citizens. Gigantic program uh, acknowledged by uh, Reagan in the 80s, uh, where we finally got a formal formal apology from the government that MKUltra happened. There was the uh, Snowden incident with the NSA, where they're snooping on all of your calls and the metadata for all of your calls because they happen to be located in a foreign server. And Snowden talked at my uh, alma mater. Um, so that's not a... I don't think that's a weird thing to say for sure. And we've got uh, the Operation Northwoods. This is probably a little less known, um, but there's a chance you probably you know about this, but you can Wikipedia this very, very easily. Operation Northwoods was where the generals uh, asked uh, uh, President Kennedy to uh, create a fake boat sinking attack near Cuba to sort of initiate a war between the United States and Cuba. You know, this is Cold War time, so... This was desirable for a variety of reasons to try to gaslight the people into a war. And Operation Northwoods would have actually killed actual Americans who would know nothing about what was going on. So they proposed to kill their own soldiers. That's something that happened. Look it up on Operation Northwoods. Um, And it was backed by the Navy intelligence uh, community um, who came up with the idea. And then there was the famous WMDs in Iraq (laughs) that I'm sure... Well, maybe people younger than us significantly don't know the significance of, but this was a massive intelligence community, essentially lie that there were WMDs in Iraq, which are weapons of mass destruction, which caused the whole war in Iraq that lasted for a billion, jillion years, uh, where we basically stole opium from the opium and other things from the Iraqi people in exchange for a war, which cost many, many lives on both sides, which is disgusting. So take all of that. And ask yourself, what safeguards exist to protect, you know, protect this from happening again? And if you find those safeguards, I would like to know about them and you can uh, put them in the comments. Because basically no change other than apologizing happened uh, with all those things. You know, all, all safeguards failed for all those things, you know, in terms of FISA courts and all that kind of stuff. So in any case, now that I sound crazy, <laughs> um, there's this connection with the intelligence community and it's basically the perfect product, right? Uh, for for the intelligence community in that you find someone who has this massive idea that can monitor social behavior when they're just starting, you feed it through your InQtel program, sort of indirectly through the the venture capitalists that are on InQtel. And then basically Facebook 
uh, gets its first cash injection of $13 million from $0, um, which sort of blasts it off to the moon. And Mark Zuckerberg, you know, he's the, the, the spearhead of it all, disconnected from these agencies, but he can do what he wants to do in terms of uh, what gets exchanged overall. Last fun fact, though, uh, there's a InQtel product called Keyhole, which became Google Earth. So that's just another example <laughs> of how these sort of uh, government, uh, you know, private enterprise uh, relationships uh, happen. So Keyhole owned a whole bunch of satellites and they were sort of doing a whole bunch of stuff. And then Google gave InQtel shares of Google, not money, shares of Google, which that's a whole other interesting thing. Uh, in exchange for Keyhole, which gives InQtel a good percentage of ownership of Google. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. What's, what's, what's the point of all this? What, what can we imagine? If we take all that information about the, what we've learned about Meta, or what is now Meta, what used to be Facebook, and we combine it all together, and we ask ourselves, what is this real reality that we're looking at, that we're going into, or being hyped about you know, from all directions? Um, we're being hyped about from... Pretty much every you know major uh, platform that even the companies that should be saying, "Hmm, we would like to compete in this arena," are saying we would like to cooperate in this arena instead. What are we seeing when we put it all together? First, we have to understand why they want it to be blockchain. So, blockchain brings immutability, which means you can't change it. So, once things are written to the blockchain, they're forever. No matter if they get censored, no matter if you take it off, they're forever. So there's no data there, like literally cannot be removed, meaning even if a agency or group or union says you must remove this content from your platform, they literally can say that cannot be done. And that's true because it cannot be done. So it's immutable. I mean, they can remove it from being viewed, right? But they always have the information, right? It's forever. Uh, They make economies centralized. So if you get enough people on this platform and they're all using Facebook coin or whatever they, whatever they want to call it, if they ever get that uh, project going, I mean, you've got a large, basically sub economy that you can sort of centralize almost like you're the fed, which is interesting um, because the generation of coins plus or minus is all in your, in your wheelhouse, right? It's all centralized. Unlike the spirit of crypto to begin with, which is completely decentralized. They can also create a sort of too big to fail vacuum. So if you didn't know, crypto is like a multi-billion dollar space. And if, if Facebook can suck basically half of that space and create an internal economy, Facebook becomes so integrated into the economy that is too big to fail. Meaning the government basically guarantees its existence like a bank, like a bank, basically, um, because it's so integrated into the monetary system. Meaning the government thinks that if it fails, the whole economy would crash and disastrous things would happen. Then there's validation and verification of ID, right? So now that it's crypto-based, if you have an account, it's now like a wallet, like a crypto wallet. And crypto wallets are, are you know, if you verify it in some way, since it's centralized, we can now verify wallets, right? Which is going to be your avatar, which means now Facebook can guarantee there's only one avatar per person. So this can be verified in a plethora of ways. I'm sure you could get around it in some way, because it's not crypto itself that's causing the verification. It would be, have to be on Facebook's end. But now they can tie your personal you know, account permanently immutably with you. So everything that you do in the metaverse that's recorded on the blockchain is permanently associated with you. So it's not just permanent, it's permanently tied to your account. 
And then there's NFTs, which is a huge discussion for another day. But basically, NFTs cause this reaction, which is like, okay, the NFT space is too dangerous, right? There's too many scams. But here at Facebook, please regulate us so that we can kill the decentralized powers that would never be able to meet the standards because by nature they're decentralized and could never meet the standards, right? So we're the only NFT space or one of, you know, probably the plurality of NFT spaces out there. And also allows for real digital ownership. So when we imagine the metaverse, you can imagine that you're going to own a bed. You're going to own a TV, you're going to own, when I say own, I mean like like NFT will, will be tied to your wallet. It cannot be stolen. And that will be one of the sort of selling points is that it cannot be stolen. Like no one can steal your TV from you now in the metaverse. No one can steal with, from you your collectible item that's in your drawer. <laughs> you know, these are now permanently tied to you. And that's your card. Even if there's duplicates in the metaverse, right? Now it has location in 3D space, which magically makes it feel a little bit better, right? NFTs. That there, now you have a place in your room where you put it. It's no longer a digital copy or something like that. You know, that it's in the vision of, of, uh, of Facebook. And it also changes the psychology of ownership and all that kind of stuff, which is a, a talk for another day. It invites fellow IPs, so intellectual properties that are, are friendly to Facebook's mission. Take Disney, take... Uh, oh, Disney's so huge. I was about to say a whole bunch of things that Disney owns. <laughs> Um, but take Disney, take a whole bunch of entities that own intellectual property. And if they're aligned with Facebook's mission and they see this as a good thing, then they can just invite those people into the space and those people's thoughts and ideas will populate the space in a way that's completely controllable. So just as Facebook gives priority to traditional media now in terms of, of search and all that kind of stuff and what pops up and all those things, they can give priority to Disney, let's say for placement on a, you know, for an ad or a store or whatever, this sort of corporate uh, monolith will be a lot easier to control than when you have storefronts and you have different online platforms where you can buy things, you know, everything is now one metaverse, right? That Facebook oversees. Uh, other thing is that everything is now traceable. Your trade is traceable. If you, if you give someone the card, let's say, let's say Facebook, maybe this is an anti-Facebook card, right? That someone created in some application on the metaverse. They created some NFT and they sold it to you for some Facebook coin. Facebook can now see that anti-Facebook uh, card and say, well, we don't like that happening on our platform, but we also don't want to delete it because for fear that we're going to anger the fans of this artist or whatever. So what we're going to do is going to keep track of you and then keep track of who owns this thing because now we know who's all anti-Facebook, right? And now we can suppress them in some way or whatever. Um, I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying that exactly would happen, but I'm just using that as an example so you can imagine. And then they have controlled availability of what's even allowed to be bought, right? So like you couldn't, like in real life, right? You, you can pretty much buy whatever's legal to buy, right? On Facebook, because it's a private entity, they can control what is available to buy within their private metaverse so and without any uh claims of you know discrimination or whatever they have pretty large buffer in place uh because they're a private entity they don't have to respect constitutional values or anything like that uh because they're a private entity and the last thing is that they become even more of a de facto public square right so there's this whole interesting conversation happening around what is really a public square put that deba debate aside for a second but imagine you spend a lot of your day in the metaverse, which is what they desire, 
I don't think that'll actually happen. That's again, a story for another day. But in their imagination, at least the direction they want to take their companies, you're spending a lot of time in the metaverse. Now, remember what the uh, Facebook whistleblower said, right? She said, there's this, these, these, uh, the, you know, there's these internal studies about addiction, about um, mental health and all this kind of stuff. Now ask yourself, this, the very same media companies who blasted that out, that story out, I can name them actually. I found articles from MSN, CNN, CNET, Variety, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Business Insider, and that was just like the first page of, uh, of Google in terms of what I found. Um, or DuckDuckGo, because I use DuckDuckGo. <laughs> that was the first page of what I, what I found. Those people who blasted that whistleblower story are now saying, yeah, spend much more immersive time in the metaverse where you're going to be more addicted, hopefully, is what the goal is from a uh, business perspective. <laughs> um, you know, more, more addicted, more sad, more divisive, right? Because that was one of the things the, uh, the whistleblower said, too, is that divisiveness attracts time on the platform, right? So, okay, you can make it even more divisive if you're spending even more time on the platform. And, uh, and now it's all like physical. It's almost like you're caught up physically into, into this uh, sort of uh, conversation that's happening. And yeah, that, that's, that's what, to me, uh, Facebook is gearing towards. And you just have to listen to what they're saying. If you watch the ad, just go watch the ad that I mentioned at the top of this. It is really weird. And also like comes off as like they don't understand how people work. Like... People don't actually work the way they think they do. Um, I'm of the opinion, by the way, this is an absolute prediction. So their goal, so I've been seeing uh, articles all over the place about how work is going to move to the metaverse, which is a terrible idea, right? So they can track everything you're doing at work. You know, they can, they can track their competitors. They can track everything. Basically, you, there's no more divorce, divorce, divorce between your, your public life and your private life, right? You're doing this from your house. Um, in fact, they can even track your physical movement, so, which they already do, by the way, in uh, VR. They, they track your agility or your, all, your, all your different uh, physical attributes. There are full-body suits being created so that you can feel haptic feedback like pain and other stuff on your skin. <laughs> um, if you go uh, watch, um, there's a conference late, uh, recently at a tech conference, I can't, a huge tech conference. I, can't, I forget its name. But I was actually just watching. Uh, oh, go ahead. Is it CES? Is that a tech yes, conference? CES. Yes, 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 CES. I was watching a CES, uh, not looking for this content at all again, and some random company that's making a full-body haptic suit, which means you can feel things like getting shot or like other things. You know, obviously not to the degree of getting shot, but you get what I'm saying. You know, these companies are all mentioning the metaverse. It was bizarre to me. I did. I literally did, was not like looking for that at all. I was just watching some stuff from CES because I'm interested in VR from a business perspective for other reasons. And... They're all mentioning like how this is going to make the metaverse more tangible, more real, more immersive. You know, people are going to want want to be in the metaverse where they can experience things they could not experience elsewhere. You know, and do I think that's going to happen? Like if Facebook had its vision for the metaverse, do I think that's going to happen? No, I don't think that has any chance of happening. Well, it happened to a degree that's scary. Probably. <laughs> if they if they keep going on the train and people sort of jump on the bag wagon, probably. But I think the takeaway is, it, are metaverses bad? Like, are they just evil? No, they're not evil. Like, it's just like, ultimately, what most metaverses currently are, are they just places where people gather and play games, right? And when people talk about decentralized metaverses, the original culture that existed, mostly what they're looking to do is play games with friends 
and have a seamless interaction across games sometimes. It's more of like an informal thing. It's less Matrix, more just a VR game experience, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> less focused on spending so much time in the platform as much as it is providing a new way to interact with friends that you may not be able to see physically or, you know, all kinds of things, you know, new types of games, you know, new types of socialization, all that kind of stuff. And I think that vision is perfectly fine. And the decentralized version is, I mean, much more savory to me in terms of, you know, what I'd rather be on if I was going to spend time in the metaverse. It would be amongst friends who are on a platform that is run by no one and, you know, connects with other people that's run by no one. And that's the threat. So if you caught my last episode on the Google thing, you know that I mentioned that as the threat to Facebook, because I segued into this episode beautifully, is that decentralized platforms are basically arriving. And not only are they arriving, they're arriving in force, and some of them are extremely popular. So, you know, these platforms are gaining steam, they're clever, a lot of them are blockchain integrated, and they command, they're commanding larger and larger, larger audiences. So Facebook pretty much had to make this move now, although I think they've been planning it for a while. The now was it, because without doing it now, then, you know, they might have been outcrowded and outdone by decentralized uh, entities that provided basically only the benefits and none of the cons. There's my spiel. Told you it'd be long. (laughs) That was something. uh, Took you on a journey. I took you on a journey. (laughs) Yeah. You know, occasionally I look up at myself on the screen. I know I kind of look dead inside. It's just because I'm like, I'm just trying to like absorb <laughs> the knowledge. Yeah. Very, very focused. So what are your thoughts in the chat? I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> people stuck around, so I want to know what people uh, people think about uh, about my thoughts on the metaverse. In a moment, I'll drop all the links that I was talking about. I just closed the window that I had them in. Um, they're mostly Wikipedia links and a few Forbes links. Any other thoughts about that before we move on? It's very late. How do we profit from this? Sock <laughs> <laughs> How do you profit from it? We are we are all we, all all of us here, you know, are um, you know, somewhat or we, we wouldn't be here if we weren't, you know, somewhat um uh inclined to business practices, I guess someone would say. Yeah, I guess, you know, uh that sort of stuff. So uh I don't know, is anyone we could we could we could turn the greatest doom of our lives <laughs> into uh, something uh something something monetary monetarily functional uh yeah i mean mixed media nft drop hey i actually would love to make an nft i am not opposed to nfts i think we have to do a round table about it uh because there's a certain way that nfts are really bad right now and i wouldn't do it right now because i i really don't i'm not a believer in the space for the moment um but i hope i really hope that if no big entity takes it over the space that we can have a very mature entity space that just adds to, I guess, the culture of ownership that I think originated or sorry, was bolstered by NFTs, but has been taken over by a bunch of grifters and scammers and uh, a whole bunch of people who are honestly just extremely dishonest and take advantage of a, of an audience who's addicted to gambling basically. So I, I wouldn't feel comfortable necessarily doing that this minute, but if the NFT market crashed you know, in terms of total value. And a lot of people got their butts handed to them and learned lessons about investing. <laughs> you know, maybe then I'll, I'll, we can, uh, we can explore a mixed media NFT if you're interested. 
which would be some interesting like melting between our three uh <laughs> our three talents which would be wild how do you profit from it i i don't know <laughs> i mean i think i think there's so many so much room for innovation by small people and that's the sad part is because i think ultimately if we keep going the direction we're going to go they're going to be crushed so you know I just, I, there's a lot of cool stuff happening. Like I said, I, I'm into esports. I do a bunch of esports stuff. It's totally like the whole VR space, NFT space is like totally up my alley on the, on the esports world. It's perfect. But, you know, I couldn't ever want to create something where people try to live in the, in the esport or live in, in the, you know, in the world where they're trading NFTs as if they're like, you know, you know, baseball cards or something like that, you know, in, in some dystopian something or another. It's like literally Facebook said, oh, Ready Player, I don't, I haven't watched Ready Player One. I have it. I'm going to watch it eventually. But, oh, Ready Player One is about a villainous company that uh, creates an MMO where they, they monitor what everyone does and everyone's addicted to it. Let's be that company. <laughs> you know? It's like, that was the reaction. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, that's that's um, that's that's John Williams, right? It's Spielberg, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was John yeah, Williams. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. It's, oh, geez, I should. I, it sounds like it, it's coming to my mind, like as it is. Because there's if there's one Spielberg film Williams didn't do, and I'm trying to remember. Is that that might be the one that Williams didn't do? I gotta look mm. that up. Oh uh, yeah, he did not do it. The composer is Ellen Silvestri. Oh okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah okay yeah so that's the one that he didn't do eventually i watch it i'll tell you how related it is actually to what i just said maybe it's not that related at all <laughs> we'll find out okay cool hi thank you guys for hanging around um it's 11 15 <laughs> so guys uh-huh. in the ch- in the chat who are listening what we do is we each have our own segments and so ben right now is going to react to your hot takes well not your hot takes specifically although if you want to submit your hot takes you can <laughs> You can go on Discord or drop them in the, the chat over here and we'll just react to them live about music. And so uh, they're kind of randomly taken. He hasn't seen any of the ones except for the one he picked for himself. And so what we're going to do is we're going to set up for that. And then after that, Nathan will review an indie game. So uh, that's the order for today. All right. I'm ready to ready to rock if you guys are ready to rock. <laughs> okay. All right. Transition time. <laughs> 